Hello and welcome to another edition of the Be Bullish podcast. I'm Alex Ely, CIO of the U.S. Growth Equity Group. Uh, thank you for listening in. I really appreciate it. Uh, today we have a special guest, uh, Kelly Carabassi. She is the CIO of the Small and Mid-Cap Value Group. Very excited to have you on, Kelly, to talk about different perspectives. I'm a growth manager, so a lot of what I say on this podcast is growth-oriented, but um, there, there's more than uh, one way to skin a cat, and uh, value investing <laughs> is another way to, to try and build value out there. So welcome to the uh, podcast, Kelly. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Alex. It is a pleasure to be here and you know share the other side of the small-cap world. Yes, thank you. Um, so how... How did you get into value investing, Kelly? What What is it that you're, you know, how did you end up where you are today? I mean, my goodness, what a career to now be in charge of all the money that you are over at small cap value. Yeah. So, I mean, starting from a, a, a young age, it's funny. My grandfather was a stockbroker. I mean, now would be called a financial advisor, but then was truly a stockbroker. Uh, my dad was a wholesaler for a competitor firm to Macquarie. And my dad was always much more of a, a value investor and his firm, large cap value and small cap value were the two products that he probably most passionately sold. And I think some of that rubbed off on me a little bit. And so, you know, I kind of complete the family value chain from, you know, consumer to the manufacturing side. But, you know, I, I think part of it in, in entering value land, um, you know, part was luck, you know, it, it's tough to get a buy side analyst position and, you know, there happened to be an opening on the value team when I was looking for a role in 2004. Um, but I think I really found my home. I mean, my personal investment style is value. And I think, you know, it's really important as a, you know, that that personal side kind of aligns with the professional value oriented side. Otherwise, I think you kind of have some clashing things within your within your fund. Wow. So it's it's actually in your blood value investing from from generations gone by. It is. It is. And I didn't know. So you've been there 18 years now at Small Cap Value? Yeah, I've been on my investment team for 18 years. And it was at the start of this year that I became co-CIO of um, the small and mid-cap portfolios, um, along with my partner and longtime colleague, Kent Madden. Well, that's spectacular. Congrats to you or congrats to both of you. What is it that you do every day? I mean, obviously, you're invested in, in value companies. How do you spend your time? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, my you know, role now is, you know, as a portfolio manager, kind of having oversight of the portfolio. So talking with the other analysts and portfolio managers on our team, keeping on top of the names we have in our portfolio and, and meeting with companies and speaking with analysts, as well as, you know, doing some new idea generation. So in addition to the PM function, I also am responsible for stock selection um, for the materials, industrial, industrials, and utility sectors within our funds. So how many, how many companies are you uh, overseeing yourself? Uh, myself, I oversee uh, somewhere between about 30 to 35 companies with, across the two portfolios. And how many, product, how many are in the, uh, the products in general? So we have averaged, I would say, about 110 names in our small cap uh, portfolio and about 90 to 95 in our mid cap value portfolio right. over the last 10 years. Great. Um, well, let's get into it. Now, you know, I'm growth oriented and you're value oriented. Why don't you tell me your views yeah. on the differences between the two and and what makes value different? Yeah. So, you know, if we're really looking at the 
you know, that the, the basis of where a value investing, you know, it's really focusing on those stocks that are underappreciated by the market, ones who's trading below intrinsic, intrinsic value. So we view ourselves as much more of a relative value fund. So we're not looking for the cheapest names out there, you know, on a PE or price to book basis, which, you know, are traditional value metrics. We're really looking at ones trading at a discount relative to their peers and markets and focusing on those companies that generate free cash flow and give it back to shareholders, whether that's through dividends, share repurchases, or reducing debt on their balance sheet. When I first entered, you know, the business in the mid 2000s, small cap value had been the place to be for the last 20 year plus time frame. You know, there were always these academic studies that show that value outperforms growth over the long term. And it really had been the case that you would live in value and you'd vacation and growth over time. But I think that really all changed with the uh, great financial crisis. You know, in a 12 year period from 2009 to 2020, growth beat value 10 out of the 12 years and like at times by a meaningful amount. And, you know, we can really only surmise that, you know, a lot had to do with the Fed's zero interest rate policies that created either, you know, seemingly free or cheap money. You know, investors had a higher appetite for risk. And we saw below trend inflation and GDP growth for almost a decade. So it really led to a lot of investors finding, you know, there was a scarcity of growth. And so where could they find it? And really saw some expanding multiples, especially for tech related names. You know, I think the 2010s really did see a lot of technological advancement and the rise of the bank stocks, you know, really kind of driving the market on the large cap side, and I would say pulling the small cap side of it. So for many years, kind of the valuation factors that are really important for a small cap value world just really weren't working. Um, It was really a much more momentum driven market. But I think now we finally hit a point where, you know, inflation's high, multiples have been depressed you know, definitely hitting growth stocks harder, interest rates are rising, and, you know, value has started to show, um, you know, significant strength both in 2021 with outperformance of about 25% in, you know, the up market. I mean, small cap value is very much more oriented towards cyclicals, has greater housing exposure, um, which we believe are still much cheaper than kind of the more secular growth companies you know, and the real, there are a lot of differences in the index composition between growth and value, and they've really only grown in the last 10 years. Financials are now almost 30% of the Russell 2000 value index, while tech and healthcare, you know, make up 45, 50% of, of the growth index. So, you know, you really need to kind of like those individual sectors um, and have a positive point of view on them before kind of placing your bet in those style boxes. So value investing has been down this year as well, but not as much as the broader indices. Is that right? Yeah, value investing uh, year to date, kind of as of where we sit right now, is up about a thousand basis points on growth. So obviously the market is down overall. Right, right. Okay. Um, So I know that healthcare has been a really big driver of that. Yeah. So I I know that you're very, like me, we've been focused on small cap stocks forever. And I've got, you know, reasons why I do that. Um, But why don't you tell me a little bit versus large versus small, maybe when do smaller cap companies do better than larger cap companies? I don't follow follow value as much. And in the growth world, it's more just that smaller cap companies are more levered to contractions and more levered to expansions. But I, I don't know what it is, what it's like in the value world. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen over time small, almost always leads coming out of a recession. You know, it's much more levered to the U.S. economy and and recovery. But as you said, it's also a little more exposed on the contraction side. And that's because it is. It's much more of a U.S. exposed benchmark. And I would say within that small cap, you know, value probably tends to lead more out of those recessionary timeframes because it has more exposure to those traditional early cycle sectors like housing, auto, and financials that tend to do really well coming off the bottom and you're seeing that recovery. You know, I would say right now, you know, large cap stocks, you know, with a strong U.S. dollar should be more impacted because they do have a greater percentage of foreign sales. So it's definitely a headwind, um, both, you know, for earnings right now, as well as looking into next year. Also, when you think about things from a valuation perspective, I think on an absolute basis, small caps look very attractively valued. Um, they're trading about 30% below their long-term averages, while large caps, you know, even with a pullback, have been trading roughly in line with their historical average. So on a relative basis, you know, small does look very attractively valued versus large. And I think one other thing, you know, as Microsoft, um, Alphabet, Meta, Netflix, Apple, I'm like the FANG, FANG, I don't really quite know how to say the acronym these days um, with the name changes. But, you know, they really helped propel large over small since 2009. You know, large caps beat small 10 out of 13 years. And those, you know, five names make up a crazy percentage of the overall market and disproportionately so. And especially when you look at the underrepresentation of the small cap space in the market. So right now, small caps represent 4% of the U.S. equity market, when typically they represent about 7%. Right. And the last time they were this low was in the 1920s. And, you know, we hope and for a little mean reversion there and see a nice little small cap run versus the large caps. Well, that actually brings us to my next question, which is where are we today? I mean, what, what have you been dealing with this year in terms of inputs for, um, you know, for your companies and, and what we've been dealing with so far in 20, uh, 2022? So it's certainly been a lot of whiplash um, in the markets. You know, despite the market being down pretty meaningfully, there have been some pretty powerful rallies in between that. But, you know, in the first half of the year, small cap value, I mean, small caps in general and small cap value saw, you know, one of the worst first half performances um, that they've ever had. Though in that time frame, again, value did do a little bit better than growth. You know, the economy has been weakening. Um, it's very clear to, to see the writing on the wall there. But it's still been holding in, I think, a little bit better in the face of, you know, high inflation and rising interest rates. And I think when you look at continued strong employment, you know, the ISM has been able to stay over 50. And we saw a a positive third quarter GDP print after two negative quarters. So, you know, that that threat of recession that's out there, you know, it's it's not going to happen in 2022. And the decline in the market was just across all areas large, small, growth value, they're really, you know, even fixed income, there really wasn't any place to hide this time around. Um, But it's really been driven by multiple compression due to the higher inflation and higher interest rates, which is why it's hit growth maybe a little bit harder. You know, earnings are starting to come down, but that really hasn't been the driver of of performance, at least certainly not in the small cap side, but it's more likely to be a driver going forward. But what's really kind of helped us on the, the value side that valuation and quality factors have really been more meaningful contributors to performance. So 
So companies that don't have earnings, more speculative companies, and those that saw really outsized COVID benefits have really struggled. And I think for us in particular, you know, our underweight to consumer discretionary, where they've struggled with inflation, with bloated inventories, um, and slowing spending, especially in goods versus services area. And then also healthcare, which, you know, it still seems weird for me, but that 7% of our index and about two thirds of the healthcare weight is biotech. You know, and so they've really struggled, you know, over the last 18 months or so. So we've benefited from our quality tilt in the portfolio and really helped in this down market despite a cyclical sector positioning. Right. So, okay, no recession this year. Are we going to have a recession next year? What's your view on that? And what's your just outlook for the markets as we go through the, the next year or so? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to avoid one. We're not in the camp that we're heading for a deep recession. You know, the Fed has really put themselves in a, in a tough position. A soft landing is increasingly difficult. Um, but we think there are many, you know, non-Fed items that could soften the recession that will likely take place next year. Um, and likely in the first half, we believe. Corporate balance sheets are okay. Broadly, the consumer is okay. Although certainly the low-end consumer um, is certainly hurting right now. You know, auto and aerospace are still in the process of recovery. You know, they haven't recovered, you know, first from the Boeing 737 MAX issue, then combined with, you know, travel stoppage throughout the world, and obviously autos with all their supply chain issues. So those are still in the process of recovery, and we see that continuing. Clean energy spending, electric grid modernization and hardening, infrastructure spending, industrial automation and reshoring, especially in light of labor challenges and supply chain. You know, these are all secular trends and areas that we think spending will and should continue, even with some economic weakness, which should help to kind of buffer the U.S. economy. And that's relatively kind of, that is the view in which we've kind of positioned our, you know, portfolio. Still with having that bias towards quality, um, you know, there's going to be more emphasis on earnings uh, balance sheets, especially in light, again, of these higher interest rates and just a general lower appetite for risk across the board until we feel that we've kind of hit that market bottom and kind of hit some kind of clearing. So generally, I'd say we're cautiously optimistic for these reasons. And, you know, but we continue to watch the data closely, you know, especially unemployment, um, which really will be indicative of where we're going. Well, it sounds like you've got in general, macro concerns with the Fed and maybe the economy, but you're still seeing a lot of trends that are very strong out there for, for your area of investing. Yeah, I think when you, you know, it's obviously earnings season right now. So a lot of companies are providing updates on, you know, what they saw in the last quarter and what they kind of see in their order books for the future. And I think it's coming in a lot more constructive than people think. And again, for, for us being very, you know, cash flow oriented, um, you know, the health of, of companies and hopefully that earnings can be a little bit more sustained, especially with the pricing power that companies have, you know, received, um, even ones that normally wouldn't have it due to the high inflation, you know, that hopefully should help drive or buffer some of the earnings in, in 2023. So, you know, for that, we're, we're more constructive. Well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> That's Kelly's view on the markets and and where we're headed. I, I, I must thank you again for coming on. I, I really appreciate it, Kelly. 
I, I would just tell everyone that if you take a longer term view and you focus on these areas of strength of long-term fundamental strength in the markets, um, that that's the best thing to do as opposed to trying to time the market, look for a clearing mm-hmm. event, when's the Fed going to get better or worse or whatever. You're never going to be able to consistently predict those types of things, but you can find areas of fundamental strength in the economy that are long lasting. And I think that's something that we both do. Obviously you're doing it in value and that's something that we try and do in growth. We just use different metrics and different approaches to, to finding it, but, but certainly long-term that's a, that's a great focus. So um, thank you, Kelly, for coming on. I know that you're busy. I, I really appreciate that you've time, the time you've taken. Thank you. It was a real pleasure to speak with you today, Alex. Thanks Kelly. And, and thank you everyone for listening to have a great day out there. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.